Hello and welcome to The Song Inside, where we go inside people's stories to discover their songs. I'm your host, Deidre Rodman-Struck, piano goddess and song goddess, and I'll be walking people through this journey to find the songs hidden within themselves. Welcome. everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Song Inside. I hope everyone is having an amazing day. Whatever day it is or time it is, maybe you're in bed, maybe you're on a walk, who knows. Um, I'm just chilling with my cat in Brooklyn on a lovely day and I'm so happy to have with me today, Abby Ahmad. Hello, Abby. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Hey, I want to make sure I said your last name right. You know, it's a it's an Americanization of an Arabic name, and so I take many variations of it. And you did it wonderfully. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I should have checked that before we started recording, but not at all. It's funny. I did a play um, with uh, it was an Iraqi play, but uh, an Egyptian friend of mine whose name was Ahmed, and I realized that I had been pronouncing it in the Arabic way incorrectly for <laughs> many, many years because I was doing like a harder, more guttural Ahmed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's ah, like a Ahmed. Yeah. And so, you know, in terms of like people can have stage names, I can have a stage pronunciation. So Ahmad <laughs> is great. <laughs> I love it. Well, let, I would love to talk about your your background and the history of where you're from because I don't know much about it. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about that? Yes. Um, so on my father's side, they are Palestinian. And uh, my father was first generation born. Actually, his brother was born on the boat over from Palestine. Yeah, my Nana was actually um, nine months pregnant, and they wanted to fly. And they told her that she couldn't. And so they took a boat and he was born on the boat. And it was crazy because the plane that they wanted to take crashed and there were no survivors. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you started in good Whoa. with like, my best family story. <laughs> yeah, so it's pretty wild in terms of the entire origins of, of that, of me and my family would not have been if uh, one little thing had changed. Wow, yeah. that's a whole yeah, musical right there. Yes, exactly, exactly. And then my uh, mother's side is Eastern European Jews. So there's a whole lot of dimension, even in the fact that um, their families were so open and accepting of of their relationship. And, you know, my parents are very spiritual, but, and religious in terms of ritual, but Mm -hmm. um, not very religious, religious. So they were able to kind of take the essence of family and culture and heritage Mm -hmm. without um, the specificity that causes a lot of problems. Right. I I hear a lot of that in your music too. I was going to ask you later, but it seems like I hear a lot of these spiritual elements weaving in and out of your music. And do you think it comes from that beginning? I think that the foundations of my relationship with art were always um, kind of laid down by my parents having this real accessibility to what deserves importance and, you know, their admiration for nature and simplicity of moments and the love that I grew up with and the understanding of, um, how to cherish these, these non-materialistic things. Um, and that's kind of, for me, why I started creating. Um, I think that it became this kind of therapeutic touchstone as I started to become an adolescent and was facing a lot of really challenging emotions and hormonal shifts and, and not really knowing how to express myself. It became a way to, to get through and to have a voice. Um, And I think that the spirituality has kind of, it shifts all the time. It's an ever-changing process. But definitely um, later in life, getting into yoga and reading more philosophy and just understanding mindfulness, um, that definitely created a a new bridge into a different kind of realm of spirituality. So, you know, it's it's ever-evolving. Yeah, it's very articulate. (laughs) I was just thinking of how lucky... It is to have had parents who, A, sounds like their families were okay and accepting of the choices that their children made in terms of partner. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that's passed down to you that your parents are in touch with nature, in touch with spirituality, and have allowed you to nurture that same exploration within yourself. 
without getting Absolutely. tied up in dogma and you know as we've seen in this day and age religion organized religion doesn't always mean being quote unquote christian or yes. compassionate mm-hmm, so that definitely. you're really had their space to explore those different avenues without judgment. Absolutely. Yeah. Very well said. Yeah. And I think that, you know, coming from a tiny town in Pennsylvania, which was, you know, very homogenous in terms of, you know, lack of diversity, both my, my mother's family as Jews and my father's family as, you know, Arab Muslims, they experienced a lot of prejudice and a lot of um, racism and, um, you know, I think that that kind of understanding bonded them and, um, you know, it became a, a touchstone of, of acceptance by both the family and interpersonally mm-hmm. and that those values definitely were passed down to yeah. me through example. We're getting deep right away, but I, I want to ask how, how do you combat feelings that come up of anger around prejudice towards you, towards your family, towards people who try to other you, I'm, I'm sure that's come up in your life, not only for your parents, but I'm assuming for you too. And I would imagine that comes with a lot of emotions and that it's hard to always be understanding in the face of sort of blind ignorance. So does music help you with that? Are there other ways or am I just making assumptions that are not true? No, (laughs) no, not at all. You know, it's been interesting for me. Um, as a white presenting person, I've had an extraordinarily, extraordinary amount of privilege. And so that has allowed me to not have to deal with the brunt of um, what a lot of people of color have to deal with. Um, That said, I certainly have experienced my fair share of racism, you know, being interviewed by the FBI right after 9-11 at an airport because of my my last name. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things I, and, you know, growing up and as a child, being Jewish was um, something that I was teased about more than being Arab because, because I was white presenting, you know, there was such ignorance that they were so clueless that I was even Arabic or what that meant, you know what I mean? So, um, but I think that it has all, it's definitely developed a sense of awareness and empathy. And I, as a child, I remember writing this, this really um, intense song about, like, you know, uh, anti-prejudice and, you know, like it was so intense and I was only like 11 years old and I remember singing it for my mom and she was like, wow, like she just had no idea that there was so much rage happening. Um, and, and I'm like, you know, I write these songs so I don't have to experience that emotion all the time, but it's, you know, it's interesting because like this new record that I put out, you know, while it's, well, you know, this is one category of the many, you know, topics that it's umbrellaed by. Um, just having an understanding and a patience and an interest in all of the shades of emotion, but particularly mm. the negative emotions and um, how we can be driven to the brink, you know, in normal times, let alone in a global pandemic amidst, you know, so many factors, um, you know, the political spectrum and the climate and, you know, all of this stuff that's going on, um, how we can get back to just the, the molecular kind of, you know, granular, the teeniest, tiniest um, discovery of, of who we are and why we are. um, And just allowing the judgment to, to be benched even for a moment, you know, and seeing what we can explore and and find. And I love that about your new album, Tea with Shadows. I think it's so, every song felt like you were taking apart a different piece of what we're talking about and it had a different flavor to it. Mm -hmm. Um, So can you talk a little bit more about this album and like what was the impetus? What was the process like? What was the writing Uh, process like? Yeah, this uh, <laughs> this record has been um, in process for about a decade now, actually, Whoa. because, yeah, yeah. So um, my husband and I, we actually got together um, right after we made our last record, my last record, which was called Curriculum, and that was in 2009. And so, you know, we 
endeavored into this relationship and on top of it started, you know, traveling with other artists, collaborating, teaching, touring. And, you know, we would work because, you know, at that point he had um, a studio space that wasn't in our home, but then we started building our home studio and, you know, we would dabble and dabble and dabble, but we had such limited time together in our house that to make recording a priority felt like a disservice to just being together or, you know, watching Food Network or doing, you know, <laughs> doing something that's just like us as a couple that wasn't, you know, completely um filled with professional responsibility. Mm, that's interesting. And so, yeah. And so like we continued to play gigs and write and collaborate and arrange. Um, but uh, we just weren't making a lot of time. So in uh, 2015, we decided my parents um, were going out of town and they were like, can you house sit and watch the dog while we're away? And we're like, you know what, we're going to take like the Apollo and a bunch of instruments and just set up camp at my parents' house. And because, you know, it's bigger space and we can really utilize some of the natural acoustics and we can have free range to not have to set up and tear down. Um, and so we did a lot of the initial tracking for it um, back then for about, I think, like eight seven of eight of the tracks I think we did basic tracking for um and then we returned there a couple more times that year and so we had these beautiful starts to about half the record and then same thing happened Mark went on tour and (laughs) just life and and we were like when are we gonna finish this and so (laughs) it was really you know just not um it just didn't seem feasible for us to do what we needed to do to to wrap it up. And then the pandemic hit and it was the first time in our adult lives that we were really able to actually have a schedule and a schedule that matched. So it was pretty unbelievable. We were, you know, waking up early and spending, you know, hours of time every day in the studio, you know, breaking for lunch, breaking for teaching, coming back into it. And we actually finally were able to get into a flow of it. And so over the course of the year, we were able to complete all 13 tracks. And um, it was uh, it was so amazing finishing it here in our in our yeah. little little studio in our little have and um, just having accessibility to everything. And I I call it greenhousing, just this process of Mm. over time really watering and giving what it needs to grow and making amendments and adjustments. Maybe this needs more light. Maybe this needs more shade. Maybe this needs more water, you know. I love that Um, phrase. Yeah, it it felt it felt appropriate um, for for what we were doing. And um, and having the benefit of not having to adhere to a schedule, but actually, you know, having the impetus to make the schedule, it was like this balance, you know, but um, just, it, it was the the perfect fertile ground um, to, to really make it what it needed to be. Yeah. I think so, it's so interesting yeah. that for a lot of artists, myself included, I'm always looking for, you know, I want to go to this residency. I want to go away from my normal space because I'm going to be more fruitful there because I will not be distracted by all the other things. So that this album started as you with you guys kind of doing a, re- a residency while you were house sitting. Yeah, right, right. And it, it, I think in our minds often it's like, well, that is what it's going to take mm-hmm. because it's so hard to carve out that time in our regular lives and the space. Absolutely. And I did a similar thing in that I was applying for all these residencies to go away and then finally – the pandemic was when I started realizing, like, you know, I'm, I'm, as you can see, I'm like in my bedroom, but I have this little corner and my husband helped me set up this little studio. And then yeah. I, I love my corner. I just, I had never gotten up before and gone to my desk yes. and like done stuff every day. Exactly. Exactly. And I would imagine, I don't know, but doing it with a, with one collaborator who's also your partner, for me, I think that would be super helpful to have a schedule it's like now is our studio time. Now we're having lunch. Now we're back in the studio. Now is our Netflix time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And without the pressure of 
participation in life, you know, because we weren't leaving, we weren't going out, we weren't being social, we didn't have gigs. Um, it became very comforting in this in- incredibly scary and uncertain time. It was like this consistency that we had been seeking that we got in like the worst way possible, <laughs> you know, um, you, but it um, definitely was the silver lining. Yeah. Do you co-write or h- how did the songs come together? What's what's the process with you and Mark? Um, my solo material, I don't co-write at all. Um, we co-write for our blues project. Um, but, uh, this record, um, all of the songs are mine. So I, um, you know, I often will start with instrumentation. Actually, I always start with instrumentation. That is so So cool. Yeah. I just, I, I find that I need to find the rhythm and the world of what the song is. So whether it's a riff that starts on a guitar or on a on a keyboard or a synth or, um, you know, a weird percussion instrument, I start to um, inhabit the the world of the song. And then what I'll do is I'll make voice memos where I improvise, you know, gibberish or just like random words, you know, and try to find melodically and rhythmically what the structure is on that um, side of things. And then I listen back and it, I'm almost like a translator for myself. That's so, cool. So I'm like, oh, that sounds like something. And then how can I edit it into what I actually want to express? Um, which is weird because I started out as a poet. I didn't start oh. out as a musician. So I kind of flipped the the script in yeah, a way. And now you start with the baffling. instrumentation. Yeah, yeah. And I let the, the poetry form and then I make it a little more... Um, intricate and detailed and the rhyme scheme forms uh, in more of like a, a post-op situation. Oh, I love that. I'm going to actually try that. One of See, one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is purely for selfish reasons, because I get to hear about how everybody does things differently and everyone does oh, yeah. do things differently. And yeah. that's a way of writing that I've never tried. One thing that strikes me about your lyrics is how evocative they are. And there's, you know, those internal rhymes, there's a playing with language and I love playing with language. And I love what you're doing in the songs because it does feel like they kind of, they'll, they'll twist and turn and spiral and they're surprising. And then there's alliteration, but then the next time there's not. And it's, it's really, um, it feels both organic and also like you knew exactly what you were doing. Thank you for that observation. That means a lot. Um, I, I think it is. I think you're right in that um, the I never want it to be um, pretentious in in terms of filled with pretension, meaning trying to make it something for the sake of it being something. But I do like to test myself to go outside the boundaries of comfortability of what I necessarily know and definitely what the listener may know. Um, I remember when I was a kid, my mom and I used to have this game where we would just go through the dictionary and we would find new words. And like, I remember as like a third grader, I was like, I'm so discombobulated right now. (laughs) And so so, like, as I started writing, I'm like, you know, the thesaurus is my best friend and I'm I'm just going to see and try to extend my vocabulary through this and and then play with how can I, how can I cut these words up or turn them on their head or you know experimenting with you know homophones and homonyms and um, I was a big Shel Silverstein kid and um, I got into a lot of the uh, Richard Wilbur translations of Moliere in uh, when I was studying theater mm-hmm. and just that that rhyme scheme I just became obsessed with that and so I'm like how can I how can I utilize this fun trickery without losing the essence of really what I want to say? Um, but also how can I make it so that on each listen and then on each read, if you're looking at the lyrics, you're picking up something new. Yes. Um, yeah. I love that. You said you started as a poet. So mm-hmm. do you remember when that started? Did you keep a journal? Were you like scribbling stuff on napkins? I definitely kept a journal. Um, I think when I was like nine or 10, I started um, and we would do some 
you know, short poems for school. And I remember I submitted a couple to like the young children's poetry anthology or something, and I got accepted twice. And I was like, ooh, but they they all had that um, that rhyme scheme thing. And they were always very dark and dramatic. Like <laughs> this one that was like, save me from the light and its blinding glare. Save me from the people and their curious stare. It's like, who is this kid? Like, <laughs> I feel like that's very tween angsty though. I used to write poems. I also kept a journal and I wrote poems and I remember writing one, this scarlet shadow bleeds before my eyes. And yes. you know, reading that stuff, I'm like blood and gore and like what I don't what <laughs> yeah but it's, it's exciting it. yeah it's exciting and like you know for my students now it, you know nothing excites me more than when they present me something and then it's going down this dramatic weirdo path I'm like yes are these songwriting students poetry students yeah I have um I have a few songwriting students um I teach mostly voice these days um but my voice teaching is um is very holistically um threaded and so we do meditation we do mindfulness we do physical activities with our bodies um and you know we'll always touch upon even if it's not directly songwriting related we touch upon creativity because i think that um in a lot of standardized practice of teaching voice creativity and play are sadly underutilized. And I think that that can really set you free in terms of taking theory and actually being able to execute it in a performance. Absolutely. I love that. And I'm going to start sending people to you because that's how, that's what I do with piano teaching. Yes. I have this thing called piano goddess and um, often it's for, you know, maybe women who took piano, but they had a really bad experience or like now they're in a part of their life where they can get back to it. Yeah, And I feel like it's similarly when often when you're learning piano as a young child, it's like, this is the note and this is the way and do this and that rhythm is wrong. And, mm-hmm. and so there are a lot of walls that get built up around that and a lot of fear, even just sitting down at the piano, there's so much fear. Yes. And to unleash the creativity and just start exploring and creating and then from there learning the theory and how it can work from you. So, yeah. And, and doing it that way, it's like, it sticks. It sticks in a way that it becomes something that is not only a tool, but a form of, of um, I don't know, like individualism. It's like, yeah. oh, you know, like, I want to show you how I have done this rather than, can I show you that I'm doing this right? Exactly. And validate <laughs> me? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that and every every person has a different interpretation of how that's going to go. And that it's all, once we learn, it's, all, it's just like speaking a language. Like once we learn these tools, then we're free to explore them in all kinds of different ways. But letting people have the freedom to to do stuff wrong, quote unquote wrong, or to make sounds that maybe they're not used to making. I'm wondering if Absolutely. in your voice teaching, do you explore sound? How does that work? Yeah, that's that's pretty much the basis of of my teaching. It's, you know, because we, if we think about it, even just in our, you know, discussion here, as vocalists, we are employing a lot of range, a lot of, you know, differentiation and diction, or, you know, when I'm talking about something that maybe is a little more personal, I start to stutter a little bit, or I start to, you know, go into this kind of, like, um, froggy kind of um, fry. And so just noticing in speech where there's freedom and where there is um, boundary can be so wholly useful. And so, you know, if I have a student who's experiencing trouble with like a certain belt range or something, I'm like, you know, but when you were talking to to me before and you were telling me about, it was so crazy. We just went to, you know, and they were talking about (laughs) this. I'm like, no, no, that's it. That's what you want to (laughs) hit. Right. And I'm like, it was so easy for you to nail it when you were excited in speech because you weren't holding yourself to this expectation of needing to deliver anything. Wow. You were just yeah. free. Yeah. And so how can we then understand it metaphorically, understand physiologically, and then be able to do it on purpose? You know? Yes, I love that. 
And within that, like you were saying, the freedom to make mistakes. I I think that risk-taking is so essential and creating a safe haven for the student to to be able to allow themselves to sound quote unquote bad because you know like when when I have a student whose voice cracks like I I cheer <laughs> so I'm like yes yes because we're breaking through a wall of resistance and there's no other way to find how to do it and how to shape it it's like trying to you know to detail the eyelashes on a sculpture before you've, you know, molded mm. the clay into a head, yeah. you know, you're getting way ahead of yourself. So, yeah. you know, starting with those basics of, of just experiencing sound and, um, you know, along those lines too, I think I, I was taught, especially as a songwriter that, you know, mimicry is death. You never ever want to sound like another artist. And while that is, you know, wholly true in the grand scheme of things as a a theater person learning how to create sounds and movements that are already have a template from someone else doing them creates not only an understanding of of um how to do it but it sets you free because you're not trying for it to be yours yet you're you're doing an impression or you're experimenting with a sound that you're not going to necessarily utilize for yourself in that exact way so you know we'll do exercises where I'm like okay now you're a southern bell and do it okay now it's a Broadway you know okay and it's so weird you know so it's like and and a lot of um and a lot of beginners have never you know touched base with any of that and then a lot of I've had a lot of you know students who've gone through conservatory and have never approached like you know music conservatory like you know classical voice and have never approached their their instrument that way and so um and it's so fun that's what (laughs) you know that's the thought that I just had is that it saddens me a little bit that same with pianists like a lot of people that go through conservatory or even that have taken, like I said, beginning lessons, like they yeah. just don't have fun. Right. And for me, what you're just talking about sounds incredibly fun, like to get to yeah. embody all these different characters. And sometimes if people have a piano in their home that's like actually a grand piano, it's like, what is more fun? Let's open the lid. Like, oh, we can do that. Like, let's play on the strings. Let's push exactly. the pedal down. Let's make a rainstorm. And it's this forbidden world kind of, but it's yes. like this is all you have access to all yes. of this. Yes. Yes. So exactly. fun. It is so fun. And it's like, you know, I, I totally understand that I'm not everybody's bag. Um, and that, you know, I don't need to be everybody's bag in terms of, you, know, you said, I listened to a few of your, your podcast interviews and on one of them, you said it's like speed dating or something like that. Like, you know, dealing with student and teacher relationships mm-hmm. and, and sometimes it's a perfect match and sometimes it's a work in progress and sometimes it's just not the right match. Yeah. And, um, and so I love being able to even, you know, have one lesson with a student who is never going to take from me again, but hopefully something will stick and, and whoever they do find that is better suited to them, they'll maybe remember this little nugget or not, but. Right. But, and I think they, they will, because there's, it's about connecting. It's about being your authentic self with somebody else's authentic self. Yeah. And I, I guess you never really know what someone's going to take away from that. But people definitely know if you're giving your presence to them. Like they might be like, ultimately, yeah, Deidre, you know, your method's not really for me. But hopefully they walk away knowing that for that hour or whatever, I was totally there with them. And if nothing else, they'll remember the feeling that they had of doing music with another person that was just a witness to what was happening. Absolutely. I love that. Um, I want to listen to the song you chose. Yeah. So as regular listeners will know, um, every guest brings a song that they've written that brought them from darkness to light or which could mean a number of things from falsehood to truth or, you know, I I kind of like people to interpret it however they like. And when I was listening to your new album, this was that song for me listening. (laughs) So could you please talk about Say You Believe and how – and why you brought that song. 
Yeah, so this was a, a last minute addition to the record. As I mentioned, you know, this was an album that was completed in the pandemic, but the subject matter was really not related to the pandemic at all. But, um, you know, we were we were here and it was in the the thick of it in the midst of, you know, the the fires in, in California. We were at the height of the um, social, social justice rallies and protests. And um, it was at, you know, one of the peak moments of Trump mania and just absolute devastating fear in regards to, you know, the future in terms of moments, in terms of months, years. And so there was just so much intensity and I hadn't processed anything like I hadn't even swallowed it, let alone digested it, you know, and um, we had um, a bunch of percussion out in the studio because every night at seven o'clock, as you know, as a, <laughs> a Brooklyner, you know, or as a New Yorker, right, we were we were cheering the essential workers and the healthcare workers and hooting and, you know, jamming on whatever we could. And so um we had the bongos out and I, I sat down at the piano, which I is not my instrument of choice. I kind of pride myself on being like a guitarist, but I have since we um, actually a, a friend was moving and gave us this beautiful spinet piano. Um, so that was perfect timing as well <laughs> in terms of having this glorious <laughs> piano in the pandemic. And so I just started playing these, you know, kind of, you know, pad chords with my left hand and almost utilizing the bongos as if they were my strumming hand. Mm. And so playing out this rhythm with my right hand on the bongos while I'm playing these pad chords. And the song just spilled out. It really did. And it was just, you know, iterating all of my feelings about, you know, the world at large, you know, the macro and the micro um, of what we were experiencing in that time. And within all of this despair and and fear i was noticing so many instances of just simplistic empathy and kindness and beauty within our neighborhood within our interactions um i was having at the time i was doing this work called resiliency moments where we were bringing art therapy um these little immersive art moments through zoom to healthcare workers all around wow. the country and um, and so, you know, what I was experiencing in that and just seeing, you know, these beautiful instances of just humanity at its best yeah. amidst this landscape of, of humanity at its, you know, most horrifying. Um, yeah. So that's yeah. basically um, backdrop. And I, this is a song that I know I'm going to keep coming back to during, because, you know, life is continuing to be chaotic and yeah. it's hard on a continual basis for me at least to remind myself of these little moments of, you know, when you're saying, say you believe that there's this little glimmer of hope, there's this little something like on the outside, it might all look like it's all going to shit, but there are beautiful moments. So we're going to yeah. listen to Say You Believe. There is kindness, come on 
That's so compelling and beautiful. Thank you. I was just closing my eyes and having this image sort of, of of you in front of yourself, like looking at yourself saying, you know, say you believe and how that would be a good thing for me to meditate on, to conjure up a version of myself that when everything is going sideways – that version of myself can appear and look me in the eye and say, you know, hey, say you believe. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so interesting that you say that because as I was listening, first of all, it's so strange to listen with intentionality to this because, you know, when you're putting out a record, I mean, the amount of times that I've heard it, you know, the mixes and then uploads and all of this stuff, right. but to actually listen to it for the sake of listening to it after not hearing it for a few weeks Um that image that you just depicted is so right on because I realized like it's very rare that I utilize that aspect of my voice. Most of my songs don't sound like that mm-hmm. and don't utilize that, that, you know, high kind of mixy right. breathy thing. And so it is almost like this, this like benevolent funhouse version of me, you know, mirroring back something to be reminded of. Um, yeah. It, and it was not done with any of that cognizantly, you know, it was right. all just like. <laughs> well, and I want to urge everyone to listen to the whole album because I feel like you have, because of your training and your openness and your vulnerability and all of those things, your voice can do so many different cool things. And on every piece on this album, I feel like there are different aspects of your voice that are allowed to come out and play. And I, there are so many I wanted to pick for my surprise song. <laughs> there are so yeah. many different ones because they yeah. were all different. Um, yeah, this record's a genre bender. I think that I almost see this more as like a collection of short stories or mm-hmm. a, set, a, a one-act play collection. Um, they're vignettes, you know. They're vignettes, and, exactly. And that was so liberating for me to to have this collection of songs where I can express all these different aspects, not only of my emotionality, but of the character of music that I like and that I write. And, um, and it all strangely um, fits together. It even does. though they, There's such strange diversity and range. Yeah. It, of this <laughs> album, I, I, that's why I, it's one of those albums that I, I enjoyed a lot listening to it in order mm-hmm. from top to bottom. I enjoy that generally anyway, but this felt of a piece. Yes, it, you know, and it started one way, ended exactly perfectly. I'm wondering if you have you written um, theater pieces from your music before? You know, surprisingly not. But this this definitely I've been told by a few people and I kind of had that in my mind. I'm like, this is very musical theater because but it's like, you know, not traditional in right. that way, which is the kind of theater that I like. Um, when I studied theater, I didn't do much musical theater, surprisingly. Like I've always been a fan of it, but a lot of what I did was straight straight dramas, comedies, you know, and um I liked kind of um polarizing that aspect, like learning a lot about like how to, you know, divulge text and how to, you know, really reap character and um and then having music be this a separate entity but in this i i i've been re-inspired not only to kind of consider how this would be interpreted into a, a stage piece but i've started writing with the intention of it being a stage piece yes. for some new some new work that i've been yes. um, starting so i'm like hmm like why wouldn't i you know i well I'm, it it f- for me listening, and granted, I'm just an observational listener. I'm a third party, but or a second party, whatever. But I could completely see you writing a narrative, weaving yeah. together songs. I think it would be amazing. Oh, yeah. Please Thank sign you. me up. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm coming yes. to that show. What, I don't even, whatever it is, I will be Absolutely. in the front row. <laughs> oh, amazing. I love that. Thank um, you. The song that I picked after much debate, was Tea with Shadows, which is, again, it's kind of a, it's a vibe. It's a vibe mm-hmm. piece. Mm-hmm. But the reason I, I chose it, I think, is it's the ending. I love that the album ends this way on kind of this fade 
And I also love the concept of taking the things that are what we consider to be dark things, to be shadows, to be things about ourselves we don't like, to be devils, to be other people's opinions we don't agree with, all of these things. And the idea of like having tea with them, just like sitting with them, being with them, it's kind of what we started the podcast with. That's so difficult. You know, like I don't want to give anybody tea, let alone invite them into my house for tea if it's like quote unquote a negative emotion or something challenging or confrontational or controversial. Like I don't want that. But life is very one dimensional if we don't try that. Exactly. Yeah, that that avoidance can be a temporary solution, but that, you know, it starts to manifest internally, it starts to manifest physically, it starts to manifest in relationships. And so even if you think you're quelling it, it's just as calcifying and yes. rotting. And know? especially so. as artists, I, I also feel like one of our responsibilities is to expose some of these things, because sometimes we're voices for people that can't articulate what they are, but maybe through a song we can bring up that feeling for them and they can have this difficult feeling be present in them. And so it's almost like through your song, you're helping someone else have tea. (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, this was the first song that was written that was, you know, became the encapsulation for the entire concept, if you will, Mm -hmm. first, you know, it, um, it was based on a, a passage that I read in um, Tara Brock's book, Radical Acceptance, talking about um, the Buddha, you know, having this this little dinner party with him and his right-hand man and Mara, the demon god, comes to the door and the right-hand man's panicking, what are we going to do? And that concept of inviting mm-hmm. the emotions in for tea. But I really had to hold up those ideals on this song, particularly in terms of the production, because... We, we just had so many issues with this song. We, um, we attempted to record it at my uh, grandparents' house who had recently passed away. It was kind of like my final homage to them. We're going to stay in, in their house overnight and we're going to try to get it. We, we always have technical difficulties with this song because the ghosts come, you know? This is just like of course. a song. Exactly. You're inviting them. They're like, we're exactly. here. They're What's like, the we're problem? Here. <laughs> we're here. We're going to screw some shit up. <laughs> so, uh, so I had to... Um, not compromise, but let go of a lot. I, I felt um, like I could get a better vocal take. Um, you know, we had to redo the guitars. We were, we were really had to, you know, at some point just let go and allow this to be. And, and the fact that the song that was the origin ended up being the epilogue, it makes total sense. You know, everything was, you know, back ass words or ass backwards, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um for this and every um superstition that I that I felt like I can't have 13 songs and I'm like I must have 13 songs you know (laughs) I can't I can't put this in this order like I just I gave in to everything because that was what the message was saying yeah that's very meta but you you took your own advice you drank you drank the drink or whatever (laughs) I drank the Kool-Aid and I served it to my guests yes exactly (laughs) and now we're going to serve it to everyone there's tea with shadows (laughs)
Abby, thank mm. you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. <sighs> Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of surreal listening to it because not only, you know, is there the meaning behind the songs, but it's like this album's such a scrapbook for me because I have all of these pictures in my head of like, you know, Mark and I recording that last piano part at the same time simultaneously. Yeah. Wow. I was playing up high and he was playing the the pattern in the lower half and just like every instrument, every bit of the mixing, you know, it was all done pr- primarily by the two of us. So um, it just sends me into this kind of um, Polaroid of yeah. <laughs> memory, you know, um, but it's, it's really special. And, and thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat about it. And That's such an honor and a, and a pleasure. And I want everyone to go find you wherever you are, Abby Ahmad, all of the places. Yeah. And I feel like this is just the beginning of our friendship. Absolutely. <laughs> it was so stimulating and, yeah, and um, I just want to awesome go right to hear now. about your creative process too. So thank you for sharing that with me. <sighs> yes. Um, I'm in such a good zone right now. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I'm in I'm in the zone. <laughs> um for everyone listening, you can find all of the song inside at thesonginside.me. I hope everyone is writing songs and writing poems and send them in. I want to hear all the things that you're doing. So thesonginside.me and until next week, remember that is there is a song inside everyone, including you. <laughs>